You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. My mother was a 4-H agent, and being her child, I would go every summer to 4-H camp. And one day when I was 10 years old, I was in this little covered area called the pavilion, and I was sitting by my mom, and I was watching some, some kids uh, taking square dance lessons, that's what you do at 4-H camp. And I saw this girl with dark hair, and I said to my mom, who is that? Ten years old, true story. And she said, well, that's Claire Knowles. And I said, what county is she from? Because different counties came together for 4-H camp. My mom said, she's from Taylor, which was my county. So she's from Taylor? And so, again, true story. There were two lines, a, a boy line and a girl line, and they would get to the end of the line and they would do si you know, they're teaching them square dancing. And so I figured out where Claire was in line, and I actually cut into the boys' line so that when we got to the end, we'd be partners. Claire remembers that. And then we had this little summer camp thing, you know, and we were boyfriend and girlfriend, and that happened off and on, and we were high school sweethearts, and and uh, then God brought us together uh, when I was 22 and she was 20, and we were married. And this uh, summer, this coming summer, summer of 23, we will celebrate 25 years of marriage. 25 years, isn't that awesome? Now, I tell you all of that to say this. What we're going to study together this morning are truths that we have experienced. And these truths are not truths because we've experienced them. They're truths because they're truths. But God has allowed us to experience these truths and to understand them and come to this conclusion. What God says about marriage really does work. Really does work. And, and I want to say this. I've been married almost 25 years. And every year I'm married, I come to the conclusion that I am not a marriage expert. But I'm grateful that God is. And He gives us His truth to guide us to encourage us, to challenge us. And so as we work our way through Ephesians, the next two weeks we're going to talk about God's Word and what it has to say about marriage. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 22. When you find your place, I want to ask you if you are physically able this morning to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 5 verse 
22. And, and let me say this, you ought to be glad this morning that Claire is in the service not working in the nursery today. She does many Sundays. And the reason you ought to be glad is because when Claire's not in the room, I make myself sound like a much better husband than I really am. <laughs> but with Claire in the room, i got to kind of be honest and transparent. So you ought to be glad, all right? You, you get the real way, not the, not the, uh, the other way. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might Present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity to sing today of your glory. To praise your awesome, matchless, holy name. And Lord, to express in song how much we need you. Lord, we think about how much we need you in this moment. How much we need you to help us to understand your word and respond to your word. And Lord, we understand how much we need you in our individual lives. We understand how much we need you in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting. God, we need you. So Father, would you use this time in a mighty, mighty way. Transform us, Lord. Change lives. God, would you start with me? We love you. We praise you. We lift up this prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In the first half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, Paul discusses our wealth in Christ, all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in in our relationship with Jesus. In the second half of the book, Paul talks about our walk with Christ, how we ought to live in, in, in light of all that he's done for us, our manner of living, our walk. And he talks about letting our light shine as children of light. Now that we've been saved and transformed, we ought to live like it. Our, our light should, should shine brightly to a watching world. And as he 
continues to talk about our walk, he gets very specific in chapter 5 and on into chapter 6 as he begins to talk about the family. He begins by talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. And then in chapter 6 he talks about parents and children. So Paul gets very, very practical as to what it looks like for Christians to walk with Jesus in their homes. And for the next two weeks, I want to talk to you specifically about marriage. Now, you look at the title of the sermon this morning. It is the the purpose of marriage. We're going to kind of look at marriage from a 30,000-foot perspective and think big picture as to what marriage is all about. And then... The next week, we're going to talk about the practice of marriage. I didn't read the last verse in this section uh, there, verse uh, 33. We'll look at that verse next week as we talk about the, the practicalities of what it looks like to live out Christian marriage. So next week will be fun. You want to be here for that. But this morning, I want to talk about the purpose of marriage. And as the text unfolds, there are many things we could say, but I want to just kind of highlight two major purposes for marriage. And I hope these will, again, challenge you, but I hope they'll encourage you, and and I hope they'll bring hope and healing into your life and into your home. So let's look at these, these two purposes for marriage. Number one, the purpose purpose of marriage is to picture the gospel. The purpose of marriage is to picture the gospel. Because you might think, what's the big deal? You know, the Bible talks about marriage, and in the church we see marriage really emphasized. Well, I mean, what's, why is it such a big deal? Why does God concern himself with uh, our marriages? And the answer is, the purpose of marriage is to picture the gospel. And we see this in the roles that God gives Husband and, husbands and wives to live out in their marriage. So if you look in there in your note, notes, there are God-given roles in marriage. There are God-given roles in marriage. And God is very clear about the role for the wife and the role for the husband. And he says there in Ephesians 5 that wives are called to submit to their husband's leadership. Look what it says there in verse 22. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I want to make an observation. If you notice that right before you read verse 22, there's a verse 21. We want to look at the the broader context And last week we talked about the Spirit-filled life. And we said when the Spirit of God is in control of your life, when the Spirit of God is filling up your life, it's going to overflow. We talked about things like, like passionate worship. And we talked about things like gratitude, having gratitude for all that God has done. And the third point we made is that when the Spirit of God overflows, it will move you to an other's first perspective. And he even says in verse 21 that Spirit-filled people submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, it's just natural, or I should say supernatural, 
for spirit-filled Christians to put each other first. So that's the foundation uh, that marriage begins with. You need the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? And both, both folks in the marriage need to have this other's first perspective. And when you have that foundation, then you're ready to begin to live out these roles that God has defined for husbands and wives. And he says there that that wives are called to submit to their husband's leadership. Now let me tell you what submission to leadership does not mean. All right, Submission to leadership does not mean women are inferior or unequal to men. If you hear somebody saying that, they don't know what they're talking about. The Bible is very clear, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that in Christ we're, we're, there's an equality uh, before God, that the ground is equal at the foot of the cross. He says in Christ there's not Jew or Gentile uh, or male or female or barbarian or Greek. We're, we're, we're all equal in the eyes of God. We're all at even ground at the foot of the cross. The Bible is very, very clear. Men and women are created in the image of God and have the highest level you can have in terms of worth and value before God. And so this idea of, of wives submitting to the leadership of their husband has nothing to do with, with equality. Men and women are equal in the eyes of God, and we should be equal in the eyes of one another. It does not mean that there is to be an absence of disagreement. It does not mean that when a husband has an idea or a thought or a plan and the wife disagrees, that that's automatically shut down. And the husband, oh, you're supposed to submit to me. That's not what it means at all. In a marriage, God brings two people together, which means God wants to bring different perspectives to the table. We'll talk some more about that in a moment. But submission does not mean there's going to be an absence of disagreement. Sometimes, sometimes you th- see things differently and understand things differently. It does not mean that wives are to obey their husbands unconditionally. That's not what this means. For example, if a husband wants his wife to do something that is unethical, immoral, that disobeys God, the wife always chooses to obey God rather than man. And that's the case with any authority in our lives. God places authority in our lives and leadership in our lives, but we always make sure we obey God rather than man. So this this idea of submitting to the husband's leadership does not mean wives are to obey their husbands unconditionally. God's commandments are preeminent. Let me say this. I think think there's a a, a good level of understanding in here, but this is a a large group and and you just need to hear your pastor say this. It does not mean that women are to stay in abusive relationships. If someone comes to me and, and tells me there's something going on in terms of abuse, my, my, my first response is get out of harm's way. That's the first thing you need to do. So never should this verse be used saying, well, you know, you need, you need to submit to your husband's leader. No, if there's abuse, then, then there needs to be safety, and then other issues can be dealt with from there. Safety is first and foremost. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be subject to or submit to the husband? It simply means this. Wives are to accept, that's an important word, and follow the godly leadership of their husbands. Every part of that definition is important. Wives are to accept, 
and follow the godly leadership of their husbands. And he makes that clear. Look what he says in verse 22. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, there's a, there's a correlation between the way you follow Jesus' leadership and the way you follow your husband's leadership. He says the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. In other words, God has, God has chosen that the husband be the primary spiritual leader in the home. And he says there, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, as we obey Christ and, and, and recognize him as leader over our lives, it says, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. They should recognize, accept that God has placed the husband in the home as the primary spiritual leader. And here's what that means, practically speaking, for wives. The wife is to use all of her insight, giftedness, wisdom, and skill to help the husband move the family in a Christ-honoring direction. And so the wife has a major role in helping the family move forward towards Christ-likeness as she accepts and follows and supports the godly leadership of her husband. In other words, a man that will not listen to his wife is a fool. Because I'll just go ahead and tell you, just personally speaking, Claire is a lot smarter than I am. And this is annoying, but she's always right. I mean, it's re- I mean, it really is frustrating. Like, we'll have a disagreement about something, and she always ends up being right. I mean, almost every time. And it's annoying. But this idea of wives accepting and responding to the leadership of husband does not mean the husband does not listen or does not uh, understand their wife has a valuable contribution to bring to the table in moving the family forward. There is a such thing, guys, and I think you know this, but there is a such thing as women's intuition. Women see things differently than men do, and they understand things differently than we do, and they see things we don't always see. I remember there's one situation in particular. We were in a, a past ministry experience, and, and uh, we were new to the, to, the, to the situation, and Claire picked up on something almost immediately between some folks. And I thought she was crazy. I thought, oh, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're imagining that, or that's not real. And you know, a few weeks down the line, of course, she's always right. She was exactly right. And, and men would be fools not to listen to their wives and be influenced by the, the wisdom and the giftedness and the skill of their wives. But it does mean God, in His wisdom and sovereignty, has named the husband, as the primary spiritual leader in the home. That responsibility falls on him. And the Bible says the wife is to to accept that and respond to that and support that reality. When Claire and I were married, July 25th, 1998, uh, my pastor was the one that officiated the the service. And he read from Ephesians chapter 5. And he uh, actually quoted this verse about, Wives submitting to their husbands, because he's right there in the Bible. And he made a, a kind of a comment about wives uh, submitting to the leadership of, of their husbands, supporting and recognizing that leadership. And legend has it, legend has it, 
that there was a, a lady sitting behind some of our family that went, well, <laughs> well, didn't agree, didn't agree. But listen to me, this is the word of God. God knows what he's talking about. And, and again, it's not truth because it works, but listen to me, it does work. It's truth because it's truth. And because it's truth, it does work. And so, wives are called to submit to their husband's leadership. But let's look at the other side of the coin. Husbands, here's the role of the husbands. Husbands are to love their wives like Jesus. No big deal, right? Just love your wife like Jesus. Look what it says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. That's pretty easy, right guys? Love your wife perfectly like Jesus. No sweat. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. The husband is called to be the primary spiritual leader of the home. But listen to me. That leadership exercised by the husband is to be servant leadership. It's leadership that looks like Jesus. So Paul gives us a pattern to follow when it comes to loving our wives. He gives us a model, and the pattern is Jesus. And, and, and notice the pattern is his love for the church. That means you and I. Look what it says in verse 25. It says, love your wives just as or as in the same way that Christ loves the church. That's you and me. And gave himself up for her. You know what I like about this verse? Love in this verse is a verb, isn't it? He loved the church in this way that he gave up his life for the church. He laid down his life. He sacrificed himself for the church, for you and for me. And so if we're going to love, guys, if we're going to love our wives like Christ loves the church, that means we're going to lay down our lives. We're going to sacrifice and, and love in an unconditional way, the same way that Jesus loves us. Love for Jesus is a verb. And love for husbands ought to be a verb that we love in such a way that we are willing to put our wife's needs ahead of our own and love sacrificially and unconditionally. And look what it says in verse 27. He goes on to talk about Christ's care for the church. And he uses that as an ongoing metaphor for the way husbands should care for their wives. He says, or verse 26, that or so that he died for the church. He laid down his life for us that he might sanctify her, change her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, not only did Jesus forgive us, he is transforming us. He's changing us. And look what it says. In the same way, verse 28 Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Here's what he's saying. You want to love like Jesus? Jesus forgives us. He laid down his life for us. And then Jesus continues this ongoing process in our life called sanctification where he transforms us and he cares for us. The Bible uses the word, he nourishes us and he cherishes us. 
And if husbands are going to love their wives like Jesus, it means we're going to nourish and cherish our wives. We're going to do what's best for them. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. We're going to care about them becoming more like Jesus in their spiritual lives and journeys. And we're going to take care of them. We're going to cherish them. It, it means that, that, that husbands are going to, to, to put their wives on a pedestal and, and do what's required to make their wives feel cherished. Over in 1 Peter 3 it says, Husbands should grant their wives honor. As a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is what husbands are called to do. You see, God made men and women different. And let me just say that again because there's a lot of confusion in our society today. God made men and women different. Gender is God's idea. And God made men and he made women. And he made them different that He might make us one in marriage. He might bring us together. And our differences, watch this, our differences in marriage complement each other. And that's where you find healthy marriage. Not perfect marriage, but healthy, growing marriages. He made us different that He might make us one. And so these roles, wives submitting to the leadership of their husbands, husbands loving their wives like Christ loves the church, these are a big deal because look there in your notes. These roles allow marriage to illustrate the gospel. These roles allow marriage to illustrate the gospel. Look what he says in verse 31. Therefore, based upon what he said of, of, of husbands loving like Jesus, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So you read Ephesians 5 and the question becomes, is he talking about marriage or is he talking about the church? And the answer is yes. He's talking about both. And the deal here is this. Our marriages illustrate the glory of the gospel. That Jesus came and died and laid down his life for us. That we might live in loving, growing relationship with him. And our marriages are little pictures, little illustrations of the gospel. They're not perfect pictures and illustrations because we fall short in our marriages. But, but they are meant to point people beyond our marriage to the ultimate reality that Jesus loves us. That's why marriage is such a big deal. Your marriage, my marriage, is designed to picture the gospel of Jesus Christ. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, God created marriage to illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church. The relationship of a husband to a wife in marriage was going to illustrate the relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who would one day, he would one day redeem from sin slavery. The relationship of a wife to her husband was going to illustrate the relationship the people of God, the church, would have to Jesus Christ. All of that is pictured in marriage. These roles 
allow marriage to illustrate the gospel. God wants your marriage, listen to me, God wants your marriage to point people beyond your marriage to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, not only do these roles allow us to illustrate the gospel, but these roles make us more like Jesus. Again, God set this up. God knows what he's doing. And God understood that, that, it, that if a husband and wife are seeking to live out these roles by the power of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the Word of God, if that's happening, they're going to change. They're going to become more like Jesus. So think about it. Foundation. Verse 21, Christian submission. I mean, it just ought to be a part of the spirit-filled Christian life that you put others ahead of yourself. Can I get an amen on that? That's the foundation. Then you step into marriage, and you have the wife recognizing, supporting the leadership of her husband. And then you have the husband loving her like, like Christ loves the church, laying down his life, sacrificing, loving her unconditionally. And by the way, let me say this. I've never seen a situation where a woman struggles to recognize the leadership of a Christ-like man. Never seen that. In other words, if a wife is being loved like Jesus, she trusts the heart of her husband and desires to support and follow his lead. It's just, it just works. And so what you really have here, now watch this, what you really have here is you have the husband and the wife trying to outdo each other and putting the other first. This vision of marriage is stunning. It's a husband and a wife, I mean, really trying to, 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 to win in putting the other first. And when this is happening, it is very healthy. It brings great joy. It is a stunning vision for marriage. And so listen, marriage is simply this. It's intentionally laying down your life for another, namely your spouse. Intentionally laying down your life for another. Who does that sound like? To me, it sounds like Jesus. So when you're doing this, living this out by the power of the Spirit, guess what? You are being transformed into Christ-likeness. That's how God set it up. You're fulfilling your role and you're being changed in the process. This vision for marriage is indeed stunning. R. Kent Hughes wrote this about how marriage is often viewed today. Marriage is seen in today's time more as an alliance to promote personal growth than a lifelong commitment to mutual love and service. So in a sense, marriage is not about you. It's not about you becoming your best self. It's about you picturing the gospel. And in this relationship laboratory being changed into the image of Christ. That's what marriage is ultimately about. It's a lifelong commitment to mutual love and service. 
And just as a testimony, I said it earlier, this stuff really does work. That's how God set it up. Which leads me to the second purpose of marriage, and we'll be through quickly. Next week, we'll talk about the practice. We're going to get into some nuts and bolts, some practical things. We'll, we'll laugh a little bit together next week and have a good time and, and uh, walk away with some practical handles. But I want to say this to you about marriage before we're through. Not only is the picture of marriage to, to picture the gospel, the, pic, the purpose of marriage is delight. Everyone say delight. Delight. Look what it says in verse 31. He quotes Genesis 2, the end of Genesis chapter 2, when God performed the first marriage ceremony. He brought Adam and Eve together. And when he brought them together, the Bible said, quoted here in Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Paul here is grounding his, his thoughts and instructions on marriage in the institution of marriage way back in the Garden of Eden. So here's what Paul's reminding us of by quoting Genesis chapter 2. And don't miss this. He's reminding us that marriage is God's idea. Now it's interesting to note when you read the book of Genesis and subsequent books of the Bible... It's interesting to note where marriage falls in terms of, of the foundations of different institutions. And here, here's what you discover. Marriage was instituted before government. Marriage was instituted before the church. Marriage is the, the foundational institution of society. Marriage is God's idea. So here's what that means. If marriage is God's idea, it's a good idea. Because God doesn't have bad ideas. Can I get an amen? He's perfect. Marriage is God's idea, so it's a good idea. Marriage originates in the heart of God. Now here's why that's a big deal. And Claire and I talk about this some. A lot of times you hear someone talk about marriage and, and they're trying to share the challenges. And Indeed, there are challenges. There's no perfect marriages in this room. We all get that. But you hear somebody talking about the challenges and they, they almost make marriage sound like a drag. Oh, it's, boy, it's, really, boy, it's tough. It's hard. I mean, ooh, man. I was standing in the, uh, the room on the side of the sanctuary in which we were married in 98, just about to walk out to come to the altar and have Claire walk down the aisle and all of that. And there's a gentleman back there, and, and uh, my pastor said, anybody got any final words for Wade? And this guy said, he was joking, but he said, it's never too late to run. He was joking, and we get that. I understand those kind of things. But sometimes we, we joke about marriage and talk about marriage and make it sound like it is just awful. It's a drag. But I want you to understand that God created marriage and instituted marriage for our ultimate good. 
for our delight. Now, you got to do it God's way. You got to do it God's way. But if you will do marriage God's way, you will experience the delight of marriage. Marriage is one of God's good gifts to you and me. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible about married love. Did you know that? It's called the Song of Songs. And uh, it does not make marriage sound boring. That's all I'm going to say, all right? In the Hebrew culture, kids weren't even allowed to read it until they got married. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's, it's, it, it's about married love. It's a good thing. It's a delightful thing. God gave it to us as a gift. Now, I know there are challenges. And, and a lot of times the challenges are just the, 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 the hardship we have in laying down our lives for another person. There are challenges and and there are failures and we stumble and we fall. But listen to me. If you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, say, God, I want to do it your way. I want to do it your way. And I believe that you will experience the delight of marriage. And say it's a good idea because it's a God idea. Marriage is a good thing. A thing we ought to celebrate in the church. A thing we ought to celebrate in our society. There's a lot I could say. I mean, there are all kinds of situations in this room. There are happy marriages. There are healthy marriages. There are struggling marriages. Uh, there are people that are about to get married. People have been married for 50 years. I mean, there's, all, there, there's a broad spectrum in this room of, of different experiences. And we'll talk next week about some of the practicalities. Well, what if, you know, what if your husband's not acting like you want him to act? What if your wife's not acting the way you want her to act, or she ought to act, or he ought to act? And how, how do you deal with that? We're going to talk about that next week. But this week, I just want to leave you with a, with, a, with a good taste in your mouth when it comes to the God-given gift of marriage. The purpose of marriage is delight. It's a good thing. Last night at the trunk retreat, I was talking to one of our precious church members. She's a widow. And uh, she was telling me that she lost her husband some years ago. I think she said six years ago. And she mentioned to me that they had been married over 60 years. And I just said, wow, you know, wow. And, um, and she said something to me. She said, uh, she said, I haven't really gotten over it. And I said, I get it. You shouldn't. 60 plus years. A part of you passed away when your husband died. Yes, I, I get that. And that's a picture of, 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 of what God does. What God does. That kind of bond, that kind of love that kind of strength, that kind of health, that kind of joy, that kind of delight, even that kind of sadness when you lose someone. It's just a reminder of how good God has been. The purpose of marriage is delight. I'll say one final word and then we'll, we'll close. Uh, and I'll talk some more about this next week. But we're working on some things in the life of the church related to marriage ministry. And so in the coming days, we're going to roll some things out and announce some things. And, and we want you to know that as your church family, 
We are here to encourage you and support you and, and, and help you when it comes to the issue of marriage. So we're going to begin to roll that stuff out again in, in the coming days. And, and we want to be a church family, listen to me, that helps each other. That helps each other. We need that encouragement. We need those examples to follow. We need somebody to pick us up when we stumble and fall. As the body of Christ, we want to help each other and cheer each other on to have the kind of marriages that are pictured here in Ephesians chapter 5. Purpose of marriage? To picture the gospel. Purpose of marriage? Delight. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.